we are starting a brand new series this week, and it is titled Ever Wonder Why. And this series is a powerful one. This question is a powerful one. It's not just a question that kids use to test a parent's patience, asking why all the time, right? You might have kids in that stage that are doing that. But I think this is a question that rolls around our head as well. Why? Why does this happen? Why does this exist? We're really big things in the world. When we look around and we see war and we see uh, hunger problems in different places, why do we still have people that don't have access to clean water? Uh, Why is there so much corruption? Why is there so much dark? and evil in the world that the questions in our head it it frustrates us it's also a personal question for us in our lives why did this happen to you why did God allow something to happen in your life it it might have been when your parents divorced it might have been when you got divorced Why did a spouse betray you? Why did you lose someone that you loved? Why do you deal with depression? Why did this childhood trauma happen? Why did this go on? Where is God in this situation? The title for this series is, uh, Why Did God Let It Happen? Why did it happen? And I don't know what it is for you. It's personal. But I guarantee you that if I ask the question, God, why did you let it happen? You have something in your mind and something in your heart that, man, if you could ask God some questions and if you could shake your fist at him, you would say, God, I want answers about this situation. Surely you knew. Surely you saw this. Surely you didn't want this to happen in my life. God, why did it happen? This question is one of the biggest barriers of faith for people. It's one of the things that prevents people from believing in a true, loving God. But this problem of evil is not a new phenomenon. This has been around for a really long time. There's a Greek philosopher by the name of Epicurus, 300 BC, after Plato, after Aristotle, he has this this phrase, and we call it the the paradox of Epicurus. You've probably heard some, some parts of it. It goes something like this, depending on how you translate it. It says, if God is willing to prevent evil, okay, if God wants to prevent it, if he's willing to prevent it, but he's not able to, then he's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful if he's not able to prevent evil, right? And then it goes on. It says, if he is able, but he's not willing, then God is malevolent. God's dark. God's evil. Why would he, if he has the power to change it but doesn't, that's not okay. That's not good. If he's both able and willing, then why is there such thing as evil in our world? And if he is neither able nor willing, then why call him God at all? Now, some of you thought that you were believers and you're having a crisis of faith right now in this room. And we're like losing souls here going like, oh, I don't even believe in Christianity anymore. Worst preacher ever, okay? I'm sorry. I hope that's not happening. We're going to talk about this. It's okay. All right? 
if we're honest, we all struggle at some point in this phrase. There is something in us that goes, oh, I don't like this. It's not right. I don't understand how this works. What is God trying to do? What are his intentions? Why does he not care? But here's the deal. This morning, what I would love for you to, to understand and embrace is that evil and suffering is actually central to the story of the Bible. It's something that's embraced in our scriptures. It's not something that we need to hide away. It's the fact that Christianity, following Jesus as the Son of God, Christianity does not hide from evil. In fact, it gives sense of, it gives meaning to, it offers a solution for the evil that we experience in our world. Christianity makes sense of, gives meaning to, and offers a solution for the evil that we suffer. The Bible doesn't avoid it. In fact, if you read the scriptures, you will see countless expressions of anguish and confusion and rage and suffering and pain. Almost every important Bible character that we study about and that we teach our kids about, they all make really bad decisions. They all do things that hurt other people, that cause chaos and pain. The, the Bible documents the lying and the cheating and the revenge and the death that is caused by these people that we declare as righteous. It's all there. We don't have to hide from it. We don't have to explain it away. We don't have to act like it's not there. Uh, there is a psalm, Psalm 73, and it's written by Asaph. Asaph is a, he, he's a choir director for David, all right? He's like the worship leader for David, and he writes this psalm. We, a lot of times we ask, why do bad things happen to good people? right? You've heard that. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do the good die young? He asks the opposite question. He doesn't ask, why do bad things happen to good people? He asks, why do good things happen to evil people? Like, this doesn't seem fair, God. Why would you allow evil to perish? As we read Psalm 73, you might get a sense that this is still true today. Psalm 73, you, you hear the frustration in his voice. He's bitter. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, he says, my feet have almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogance when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That's not good. You don't really want your worship leader standing up here saying, man, those evil people, I envy them because <laughs> their life looks pretty good. They look pretty cool on Instagram, and I wish that was me. It's not a good place to be. Here's what he says of the evil that prosper. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Their pride, they wear it like a necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes inequity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten opposition. 
Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. And here's the deal. They have a following. Therefore, their people turn to them. They drink up waters in abundance. They say, how could God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain. I've kept my heart pure. I've tried to do the right thing, but it must be in vain that I'm trying to live life the way that I'm supposed to. All day long, I have been afflicted, and every morning brings me new punishment. I wake up every morning frustrated at the success of evil people. That's the choir director of David saying this. Dude's in a dark place. It is not good. Going back to Epicurus, does God even care? Can God stop it? Is God loving? Why would he allow this to continue? Why would he allow the evil to prosper? Well, ultimately, this comes down to free will. It's a very interesting statement. You know it if you've seen the movie Free Guy, right? He is not this robot in a game, but through AI, he's able to choose and make his own actions, and he's able to to make his own choices as he learns and he grows. Well, we are the same way. We love the fact that we're able to make our own choices, right? We love our freedom. We love our ability to choose good, to choose love. We love our ability to create, to choose joy, to choose beauty. We love our our ability to choose pleasure for crying out loud, right? But we also have the choice. If we have the choice to choose good, we also have the choice to choose evil and to choose suffering and to choose pain. We can choose to cut someone with our words. We can choose to cheat someone, to neglect someone. We can choose to hurt, to curse. James in his epistle says, out of the same mouth comes the blessing of God and, and cursing. This should not be so. But we can do it, can't we? Because we have this ability to choose. We have this ability for free will. In his book, The, the Case for Faith, Lee, Lee Strobel has this 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 phrase. He says, to prevent all evil, you must remove all freedom and reduce people to puppets, which means they would then lack the ability to freely choose love. Now, which do we want? Do we, do we want to be a puppet in the hands of God, or do we want this ability for us to be able to make a choice, to choose love, to choose God freely, or to be controlled. God loves us, enough, loves us enough to allow us the freedom to love him back. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. Can we look at our lives and say every single decision that we've ever made has been exactly in line with what God has chosen? No. No, we we haven't made every choice correctly. No, we have rebellion. We have sin. We we have done harm to people. We have gone through our life and we've brought pain on other people. Of course we have. We've hurt people. Whether it's on purpose or just on accident, just making a a mistake, being careless our words, sometimes it can happen. We long for a world without pain and suffering, but too often 
we find that we create it. We are a part of these hardships. Whether we do it or someone else's choices cause pain on our lives. Whether someone else chose evil or someone else just simply made a mistake, we cannot avoid the evil and the pain and the suffering in this world, in this life. I want to introduce you to an amazing couple. It's actually their last Sunday here. Uh, because of where we live, people sometimes can, can come and go, right? And we have to bring people in and, and bless them and equip them and then also send them off when it is time for them to launch into their next chapter. And that's what's happening with Jay and Stephanie Birch. It is their last Sunday here and they're an amazing servants. They have been involved in almost every area of serving here at The Journey. And we are so thankful for their, their service and what they've meant to our, our family and our church. But I also want you to hear part of their story. And so I asked them if they'd be willing to share their story. And so I called them this week and I recorded our conversation for you. So, uh, yeah, so we were stationed at Davis Monthan Air Force Base in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, this was in 2016. At that day, our, our daughter was supposedly, you know, out with some friends. And then uh, Stephanie, Alexis, our oldest daughter, and I decided we were going to go over to the base golf course and, and play some golf a little bit. Um, it was during that time on the golf course that my phone rang. And uh, it was a officer from the local PD. And immediately your heart just slams, right? Why would the police be calling me? And uh, sorry, I get a little choked up. But he said, uh, "Why well, we need to talk to you about, your, you know, is your daughter Madison? And I was like, yeah. And I said, I just immediately, I just cut him off. And I was like, what's going on? What, what's happening? What's what's up with my daughter? And uh, he, he choked through it eventually. And he stated, well, your daughter was was in a car accident, sir. And um, she, she, she's passed. And uh, I think my wife kind of knew. Well, Jay let, Jay let, he let out a scream that just, I knew. I didn't even know what the conversation was about, but the way he screamed, no, I knew. Uh, the accident had occurred almost eight hours prior to them finding us. We had actually drove by it in the morning. Um, the road was blocked. And um, I actually said, wow, that's gotta be a really bad accident. We need to pray for those people involved. Uh, the best they could figure out, um, uh, and what we pieced together with the other family is um, more than likely he had fallen asleep behind the wheel and he drifted across the lanes into a head-on collision. Um, and so, you know, your story, just just when you think your uh, your story couldn't be any more perfect, it it is destroyed right in front of you. You know, you go through a lot of emotions, like why and what did I do to cause this or what didn't I do or? If I could go back, this happened, uh, we're coming up on six years, May 14th. I, I, to be honest, Daniel, I, it, it was probably my faith that got me through it. Right. Um, and trust me, I, I, I spent a couple of years really, um, really mad at God turn my back um really angry uh you know it's it's like man i, I 
I go to church. I'm a believer. I try to do the right things. I've served in my church. Uh, my kids grew up in the church, um, which is nothing I grew up with, right? I, I did. I was. I had. I was nowhere in that lane. Um, and it's just like you know, why? Why? I'm doing everything right. I feel like I'm doing everything right. Why me? Right? Why me? Um, but at the same time, deep down inside of my soul, I knew it was okay to be angry with God because I knew he, he still loved me, right? And that was the faith part of it. Um, and eventually, you know, I knew I'd, I'd come back to terms with God and I knew he'd be there ready when I was ready. Part of my faith, right? I don't think God purposely set out for this to happen, right? right? Things happen. And um, I can spend the rest of my life curled up in the fetal position, wondering why um, or I can trust in my God and, uh, you know, enjoy what I have. We look at it as a blessing to have had 16 years of Madison. Wow. Right. That, that was a gift. That was a gift from God. It's well said. What I'd like to do with our remaining time is offer a few thoughts on how you can have that type of faith. Because the evil, the suffering, the pain will happen. How can you respond? And eventually, not immediately, eventually have a story like that. The first thing, and it seems counterintuitive, the first thing that I would suggest is to ask, to ask God, where are you? To shake your fist at him and say, God, where are you in this situation? Because here's what scripture says. Scripture says in Psalm 34, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Where is God? He is right beside you. In the midst of the suffering, he is there. He is with you. He's not far and distant. He is close and he is there. And by asking that question, may you remind yourself that God is with you in the suffering. Remember Asaph, that worship leader that, uh, that was in a really dark place. Here's how Psalm 73 finishes. He says, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Who have I in heaven but you? And heaven has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. It is good to be near. So ask, ask yourself and ask God, where are you? 
and realize that he is near. So my action step for you this morning would be, would you be near for someone else in their struggle? Would you be God's presence in the midst of someone else's suffering? Would you sit with them? Would you text them and remind them that God is with them, that you are with them? May they experience God's presence through you and your presence of being with them in the suffering. I have a friend that his daughter is going through leukemia. I, I saw it on Facebook. My wife even told me and reminded me about it. I have not yet texted him, and I feel terrible about it because I don't know what to say. I, I, I can't be there. I can't do anything, and I haven't said anything. And that's, so that's my action step. My action step is that I need to care for him and be there for him and let him know that he is not alone. So your action step, be near for someone else's struggle. So yes, ask God, where are you? And next, remember, remember that God loves. There are all types of clarifiers and verb tenses I could put in there. He has loved you. He does love you. he, He is loving you. It's purest, simplest form. God loves It's active, it's currently happening right now. God's love remains constant. What do we see in John 3, 16 and 17? For God, what, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for you. He didn't come into the world to condemn it. He came into the world to save it, not wanting anyone to perish. God loves in your situation, in your suffering, in the hardships that you're going through, God is not only near, but he's actively loving you. And he actually took on the pain. He he put his son in your place to take on that suffering, to take on that pain. Yes, we will suffer. Yes, we will be persecuted. But the Bible says that something more and something better is coming. And so my, my action step for you, yes, remember that God loves you, but remind someone this week that God loves them. Would you be active in showing God's love? Would you send that text? Would you write a letter? Would you take a meal to someone? Would you do something active to let someone know that God loves them in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their pain? this week. The last thing, the last thing that I would recommend on how we can have this type of life where we can stand up to suffering and and remember what is happening. I, I want you to know, I want you to know that something better is coming. So yeah, you can ask God, where are you? You can Uh, you can remember that God loves, but I want us to know that something better is coming. It won't always be like this. It it won't always be this hard. Two months from now, where will you be? Will you be in the same place in two months, In, in six months, in two years from now? There is healing that can happen. There is growth that can happen. It won't always be like this. There is hope. God is working 
in his people. God is working through his church in the world to push back evil, to push back darkness. Evil won't always exist. We want to ask God, why does evil exist? What if God asked us the same question? Yeah, why does evil exist? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing as his hands and his feet making this world a better place? We push back the darkness. We use our free will to change things. And we can do a certain amount, but bigger than that, read what Revelations 21 says. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And I love this part. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. Doesn't that sound good? All these things will be gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. This is the future. This is the future hope. We're not there yet, but God's kingdom is here. It's already started, but it's not yet fully realized. But that's where it's headed. And so my action step for you, if, if you need to know that something better is coming, my action step is to make this future yours to respond in baptism, to be a part of this movement and this kingdom and this family of God. We're gonna do another Baptism Sunday at the end of this four-week series. On May 22nd, we're gonna do baptisms because we have more people saying, hey, I'm ready for that next step. Is that you? Are you ready to respond? Are you ready to be a part of God's kingdom and to be a part of his family? and to respond in baptism, being obedient, saying, yes, this is what I believe. Yes, I, I am dead, death, bury, and resurrection. I am a new person, a new creation following in a new light. Would you make that decision today if that's you? We're gonna take communion here in a minute. And so if you didn't grab one of these little cups on the way in, there's some by the door. But before we do that, I, I want to read a piece from a British pastor and a theologian, his name's John Stott, and, and it's in this book, The Case for Faith, and as we read this, I, I want you to see, do you see yourself in here? Could this make sense of why Jesus is different? This is not just some other religion and trying to get people to be good and better and, and modify their behaviors. Is it possible that Jesus is wholly different than every other way? John Stott says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In a real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha. His legs crossed, his arms folded, eyes closed, a ghost of a smile playing round his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I have to turn away. 
And in imagination, I have to turn to the cross. I I turn to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood and tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in light of his. There's still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we boldly stamp another mark, the cross which symbolizes divine suffering. That is the God we serve, amen? And that's why we take communion. Because each week we need to remind ourselves that our God is not far away. No, our God is near. Our God experienced what we experience. Jesus was broken for us. And that's why we have the bread. And each time we take it, we break it. We remember that Jesus was broken. Let's eat together and remember him. And likewise, we're not here on this earth just destined to go through this this terrible, mediocre, suffering-filled life. No, there is hope and there is redemption and there is forgiveness because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because his blood was shed, he can forgive us and he can change us and we can be brought into this new kingdom Let's drink together and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we praise you. We praise you for what you have done. That we don't need to run away from the evil and the suffering that we face, God, but that you make sense of it. You give hope to it. You give meaning to this life that we endure. So thank you for that. Thank you for the gift of your son, his obedience to death on the cross, the, the, the saving grace that he freely offers us. And God, help us to be changed. Help us to respond to the suffering that we experience in the world in a way that would proclaim who you are in a way that would bring others along with us. We love you so much, and it's because of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.